until, yeah, there was a breaking point for me where I went into work on a Monday morning um, and we were having a Monday morning check-in. Yeah, I had my first panic attack, you know. Um, definitely had a moment where everything just kind of snapped. Um, and yeah, you know, that was definitely a really hard time. And I was appreciative. Pre I appreciate how you shared your challenge with me when we met a few weeks ago. So that would be one for me whereby, you know, I had six months or a year where I was feeling like full body anxiety and like quite low at times as well. And, you know, um, it's almost like, you know, when you get burnt and you kind of, you're really sensitive in that area. I kind of felt yeah. like that for like a year, you know, I was nervous of going into social situations and usually I absolutely love them, you know, but I, it was just, uh, yeah, so that was kind of the, a dragon that I would have slayed definitely a few years ago. And, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to season four of What Makes You Tick. Um, I know it's been a while since uh, season three finished, but there's been a lot of things going on in the background, and uh, I'm delighted now to bring you season four. It's going to be super exciting. Uh, we have a lot of really, really exciting guests, and to kick off the season, I am joined with a gentleman from Cork, a lad called Ronan Conway, and Ronan is uh, going to talk to us about the work that he does with people both um, in a personal and professional manner. Um, and listen, we're, we're, myself and Ronan had a conversation a couple of weeks back, um, but f we'll get into that. But Ronan, first of all, great to have you on board. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Yeah, good to have you on board. Um, usually when I introduce people, uh, I don't say they're from Cork, but I just got ahead of you because uh, when you meet somebody from Cork, how do you know? Because they'll tell you. <laughs> I was just about to say it. I was just about to say it. <laughs> uh, no, great to have you on board. Um, let, let, why don't we just get stuck into it? Because uh, people might know who you are and I found your story really compelling. Um, but maybe let's touch on how our paths crossed and why why you why you reached out yeah um so firstly thanks for having me um and uh you uh, when we met a few weeks ago for a chat um i felt like there was a lot more juice in the tank in the conversation so it's great to continue continue on the chat um so yeah a friend of mine actually sent on your podcast to me um uh, around a year ago and he it was a conversation that you had with Caelan Doris and Caelan would have mentioned a session that I'd run with the Ireland rugby team. And I, you know, I've been, I've been working as a facilitator for 10 years and I feel like I've learned a bit about working in different environments, be it sport or corporate or um, in the prison system. And I, I said to myself, you know what, I'd like to share what I've learned, some of, some of the skills, some of the tools, some of the knowledge that I've learned with people and hopefully they can pick up uh, bits and pieces along the way brilliant yeah because um what what i found um i suppose intriguing about your story is that when you were a young man in your 20s having qualified uh in one area um you it wasn't ticking your box it wasn't kind of giving you the fulfillment that you were looking for and i think there's a bravery in taking stock of where you're at um mm. especially when society is telling you to go down one road because that's what society thinks uh, maybe you might touch on that that story a little bit because it might give people a bit of context to how you got into the work of facilitation and working with groups. And I think we we can touch on that a little bit uh, a little bit later. Definitely. Um, so I could I grew up in Bishop's in Cork, and uh, 
from an early age, hurling would have been a big part of my life. I was one of those uh, kids running around the local area with uh, hurley attached to their hand and uh, target practice off different stop signs and whatnot. So um, that would have been a big form, formative part of my life. Um, all the way up until end of school and college, um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I studied commerce and UCC and I did a master's in IT and accounting and still I didn't really know what I wanted to do, you know. Um, but while I was working in, or while I was in college in UCC, I was working as a care assistant uh, with people with, for people with special needs with a great charity called um, Cope Foundation. And every summer I'd work um, in Cope and I found I was really like fulfilled coming home from work and I was absolutely buzzing. My, my eyes were bright and I was uh, just really fulfilled by my work. Um, so that planted a bit of a seed um, while I was in college days. So when I finished college, uh, I took a few jobs in different areas in business and whilst they were, you know, really, really great jobs and opportunities, um, just wasn't making me take part in the pun. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, yeah, there was a few years of being really, really lost. And uh, the way I think about it is I felt like I was on a train going in the wrong direction. And oh, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know how to get off. You know, I think um, there's a lot, lot of people on that train at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. And what 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 kind of what was the thing that that triggered you to 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 stop? Yeah. Um, so there's a few things, but um, the main one was I remember being on a bus in Cork. It was around 11 years ago, and it was a no- November night, and it was really really Novembery, uh, dark and wet, and. My friend Dermot Link gave me a call and he said that there's a new organization being set up called the SOAR Foundation. And um, he said, they're doing a recruitment drive and they're a youth organization and it's really exciting. And if you want to come up to Dublin and take part in a workshop, uh, come along. So I had been studying psychology in Dublin. So I was getting the bus up and down from Cork every week. And I said, you know what, while I'm actually up in Dublin, I'll just pop along to one of these workshops. I had no idea what a workshop was, but I, I thought a workshop was something to do with carpentry. <laughs> that was my image of a workshop. Um, so it was in Temple Bar and there was 25 people there, 25 complete strangers. And there was uh, Tony Griffin and Carl Swan, the two founders of the SOAR Foundation. And essentially what they did was they ran uh, a two-hour conversation. So it was a two-hour experience for all of us uh, delving into Genuinely, I can't remember what we spoke about, but I know it was something to do with life, but it was yeah. the way it was facilitated um, and the way I felt when I left um, that just completely blew me away. And I've never had that feeling so strong in my life that a certain event actually changed the course of my life, but that really did, you know, and um, I'd always said that I wanted to work with people and I wanted to, you know, impact people. Um, and when I left that session, I said, you know what, this is what I want to do. This is, I want to learn how to facilitate. So SOAR was like just getting off the ground itself. So, you know, don't think we, we had an office actually at the time and, uh, you know, but it was very much in the, uh, the formative stage. So, yeah. I, you know, I was still traveling up and down to Dublin, but I, I said, you know, this is what I want to do. And yeah, there was eight years spent there, but I'll, I'll stop there for now yeah well so so let let me just just touch on that so the the fact that it was a 
a group was it a group of potential facilitators is it a group of people like you who could potentially be uh, part of soar that were brought in and tony and carl brought you through what they will do or how they would look after um a, a group like, like maybe just touch on that because people might necessarily while it, it's a youth foundation right and am i right saying that yeah, it's a youth organization. Yeah. Um, youth organization. So, but what does it do for young people? Yeah. So, what SOAR does is it runs self esteem resilience workshops for teenagers. So, what that means is um, we travel around the country to different schools and we go into mainly transition year students, so year groups. So, that might be between 20 people or might be uh, 120 people. And you create, what SOAR does is they create a space for young people to really just press pause on life as a teenager and explore some topics that, um, you know, might be relevant to them. So like what, what influences teenagers? Um, what are some of the influences from the outside that influences? Uh, what are some of the challenges that can be faced as a teenager, both internally and externally? Uh, how do you navigate adversity? Um, you know, what are the different resources available to us, uh, both within school and outside of school, and also creating a compelling vision for the type of person that they want to be, you know, um, so that's essentially what I'll it tell is. you one thing, I would have loved to have had something like SOAR when I was a kid, or when I was a teenager, because um, like, you know, it, it's, it's for me, it's, it's, it's challenging at the best of times life in, in general, right? And it can be really, really cool when you get to a point where you've got a grip in life. And I don't think anybody gets a full grip in life, but when you're fairly confident or comfortable in your own shoes, like I'm nearly 40 now, and it's only in the last couple of years that I've started to kind of edit the, the negativity out of my life and focus on all the kind of the good things and the people who want my time and want to kind of get to know me or hang out with me, you know, and, and me them. And I think when you when you do that, you see an ultimate rise in your stock, personal stock, you know, in, in terms of your own net worth or your your feelings. Um, yeah. But when you're a teenager, like there's so many things like when I was growing up, you got bullied or you were in the yard and that was it. Whereas now you're growing up and there's no sanctuary because you get home and you can still get bullied or attacked online or you've got all the societal pressure from all the technology that you're dealing with. So I, I'll tell you one thing to have something like that. And have somebody like you helping teenagers probably articulate what their thoughts are. Exactly. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll say that, like, there's an amazing crew in SOAR. And, you know, it's not just me. It's like there's been some amazing facilitators and there still are. And all the way up through the, the office staff, you know. So, um, yeah, I'm really yeah. delighted for the young people of Ireland that the likes of SOAR exist, you know, because essentially the way I think about it is, you know teenagers are the lead character of their own story you know what I mean so like any movie or book you know they are the lead character of their own story and like within that story when they get to teenage years as we'll all agree you know it can be confusing it can be stressful it can be challenging yeah because you're not a you're not a kid and you're not an adult so it's an in-between stage so really it's just offering them a space to to yeah, to have a real authentic chat about that. And like, you know, for me in school, that wasn't, that, I was the same with you. It was yeah. uh, an abyss of slagging and, you know, taking pace and like, that's that's okay. And, you know, that's part of being a teenager, but there's definitely more uh, real stuff underneath the surface once you create the right conditions. 
Yeah, geez. Yeah. What did they say? You're a product of your environment, right? So if you can have that kind of environment when you're young, Jesus, imagine what could happen in, in the future. Um, so, so, so with, so that, that sore was the kind of the, 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 the point where you realized, right, I'm making a change. So at that stage, when you went into sore, you, you were working in a kind of like the corporate world, right? Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, and and so how did so what, what what happened after that that session with Tony and Carl? What yeah. did you just basically say? Here, listen, I'm done. <laughs> I'm uh, out yeah. of here. Or did um, you transition? Or what way did it work? Yeah, there was a few things that led me to actually finish. Like, um, I actually won a competition for uh, an audition to be on a commercial uh, while I was working in the job, and uh, they sent me away to America for. Um, for a week to LA and I ended up staying three months <laughs> that's why, as you that's do I, that's why, yeah yeah that's how I actually uh, finished the job I said you know what maybe this is a sign so uh, I remember being over in San Diego uh, when I, just before I was about to fly back and I said I was looking over this really idyllic uh, uh, you know you scene. and everything yeah. I was going down it was like very Californian remember people were clapping for the sunset and all that and it was lovely but like within me there was still like uh i remember looking at it thinking this is perfect but within me i felt like there was a certain hollowness you know there was an unfulfilled need and uh yeah that was that was definitely propelled me towards uh committing to sore and uh saying you know let's put all our eggs in the basket but um yeah look there was it's the road less traveled by in some ways when you're quitting a when you're quitting a secure job but um it takes balls though i tell you it takes bravery to do stuff like that because as i said at the start when you're in the the world of the societal uh success mode where you're in a job pensionable job and just go through the kind of the 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 steps that would be deemed to be successful ultimately success they never think about happiness and like if you're not happy then you there's like success is a million miles away so it's it's like finding what you're happy at and as you said at the start helping people seems to be that area that you seem to love so sore was that foundation that was that gave you that nearly that and and in saying this an eight-year foundation so like it wasn't a case that you just dipped in and then tried to do something else like you, yeah. you you solidified yourself as part of the DNA of SOAR because SOAR 10 years this year, right? So yeah. like you're 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 there eight years or you were there were there eight years. So you got some br- brilliant tools. Then what happens? So how did you then make the progression from working with SOAR to then creating your own business and your own kind of identity? Yeah. Um so at the tail of it at the tail end of working for SOAR, um, I started dipping my toe into working with uh, teams. So as I said, I had experience playing hurling and I'd often wondered what it would be like to bring this style of workshop experience to a team. Because every time I, most times when I finished the workshop with teenagers, not only did they get something personally, but they got something collectively. So they would have felt unified and there would have been a real, sense of uh, togetherness yeah and I used to think imagine if you brought this to sports teams um, what would that actually uh, look like so uh, Kevin McMillan who was working in SOAR at the time as well gave me a shout and he said um, 
I'm very tempted to do an impression of him, but I won't. Go um, on. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get the audio sound and we'll send it on them. <laughs> so I'll, spare, I'll spare him for this one. But um, he said, uh, would you come in and do a session for the Dublin under 20s? Because he was working with them at the time. And so we developed a, a, what we call a run sheet, which is your basically your script um, for the session. So we developed a run sheet that would help them uh, to build a deeper connection to them, to their teammates. So, you know, we worked a few times at the Dublin 20s and that was excellent. And um, then... Uh, give me an example. Give me an example of a run sheet. So give us an example yeah. of something that you'd put them through. The run sheet design is really based on the information that I'm given from the backroom team and the management. So I try to understand where the team is at and where they're trying to get to. I also try to get a grasp on the different dynamics that might be in play in the team um, and also some of the key individuals that might be worth uh, understanding before I step into the workshop. Um, from there, I will design and map out various exercises that will help me achieve that aim. Um, the exercises might take shape like uh, people going away doing some journaling or reflection for themselves and then bringing it back to the a bigger group for a wider discussion or also a smaller group little pod discussions um, it also might include some visualizations and and, and whatnot um, the subjects that we discuss are a mixture between uh, personal and also sports related um, so a few examples of them might be understanding um, the life path of each individual and how they've come to being in this room today um, what are some of the ways in which they've been resilient both on and off the pitch what the jersey really means to them um, connecting to the legacy of the team so like understanding that they are the current link in the chain of this whole team's legacy and uh, finally you know just giving them a space to um, uh, tap into what it really means to be playing for the team so how does the vision stimulate them how does the vision motivate them and uh, hearing from everyone's opinions as to why they uh, show up every week can be quite uh, uh, powerful sometimes when i go into sports teams and i'll ask them what do you usually talk about okay day to day when you're in the dressing room with the with uh, girls or the lads what do you usually talk about what do you think they say um Love Island. <laughs> Love Island. It actually did come up last week. I did swear. It? Yeah. <laughs> um, what would they talk about? I'd say, is it the night before, the weekend before, or yeah. something they did together? Yeah, exactly. Uh, anything else? Do you think? I know I'm, I'm facilitating here now, but yeah. What, what... Um, anything else? Jeez. Um, uh, I don't know. Would they be talking about their partners or their girlfriends? Yeah. Um, people that are close to them. I, yeah. I, like their exactly, job yeah. maybe job relationship yeah. uh the next game coming up injuries you know yeah um so then sometimes when i ask them what do they usually or what would they never speak about um you know sometimes they'll outline they'll say maybe fears uh my motivations what drives me my family um you know um what football rugby hurling really means to me deep down you know so what I invite um, teams to do is I say, look, are we going to 
or is it going to help our performance to talk about nights out love island and whatnot not really yeah but if we can dip the waterline down so if you picture an iceberg if we can dip the waterline down a little bit and be generous with who we are underneath it all you know that's where we can really um create some value for the team but also for you as an individual so you know we might cover topics like you know what has led us to this room today so like who or what has led us on our path to today um you might speak about you know what are the motivations who are you playing for what are you playing for where are you playing for and you might speak about you know um you know the vision of the team it's like every team has a vision every year and they're going up a mountain together and they're striving towards their peak, you know? So like, what is the vision and how can they emotionally attach to that vision um, to get to where they want to, you know? Because I know you probably know this from playing rugby yourself, but, you know, you need players to buy in. You need players to really be, you know, have a deep respect for people, for each other. Uh, you need to be bought into what the shared purpose is and, um, you know that creates a, a serious energy when all of those boxes are ticked you know yeah uh, big time I, I actually used to do a thing when i was when i was coaching you might say it's right or wrong but um when i was coaching i'd, I'd always ask kind of who are the, the closest two players to you like what what which ones in the pitch are the most important to you and then ask the guys then okay well tell me something about those guys. Like how many sisters have they got or brothers have they got or what job do they do? And if they couldn't answer some of the questions, then my point would be, well, you don't necessarily know them enough. So if you don't really know them enough, are you going to fight for them when the, the chips are down, when we're in yeah. the trenches, you know? And exactly. then when you get one or two guys doing that, each person doing that to one or two guys, all of a sudden you have a collective knowledge of each other. And yeah. it means like you, you, you shout loudest for the person you know than the person you don't, right? So you do yeah. more for the person you know than the person you don't. Exactly. And like, especially when, <clears throat> if you're working with a county team or an international side, for example, all of these people are coming from different towns, different counties. And uh, their opportunities to really to get to know each other um, can be quite limited sometimes because you might be focusing on strategy, tactics, analysis. Uh, you might be training your body. You might be training your mind, you know, so these sessions are like a gym with a difference, but you're actually building like both individual resilience, but you're also building the collective resilience, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, I, yeah. I remember when I was talking to Kalen and he spoke about um, at the beginning when, when Andy Farrell's whole team came together and he spoke mm -hmm. very emotionally about um, you coming into the room and posing the question to them all about, if they could see them, if they if they could imagine themselves as their eight year old self, um, right. and they could see themselves now, what would they say? Or along those lines, or how would they would they be proud of themselves? You know, yeah. Um, and again, the privilege to be playing at such a high level, whether it's for Ireland or Dublin, or you're playing at that elite level in GA yeah. or hurling or football, whatever it is, that remember when you were a kid, what you always wanted to be. And now you're getting the opportunity to live that. I just thought it was super, super strong. Like, where did yeah. that come from? Like, how did you develop that as a kind of like a way of thinking? Yeah. So, again, I, I really credit a lot of what I've learned for, uh, to SOAR. You know, like I would have learned a lot of different methodologies for um, 
for achieving your aims in a workshop. And sometimes it's a visualization like Kayla was at experience, but also, you know, it might be conversation, it might be um, various other elements. So, you know, for that that one, you know, sports at a high level can be incredibly intense sometimes, and it can be high pressure environment. And the next challenge is only around the corner constantly, you know? So sometimes it just needs a bit of perspective as to what they're doing. So, and for me, the greatest perspective sometimes can come from and is the most purest when it comes from the little part of yourself inside of you, you know, the player that, you know, put on an extra large jersey and carried a rugby ball and, you know, for pure fun, you know, and that's why you kicked off your career and like to just tap back into that, get a bit of perspective and appreciation for the journey that you're, you're on, you know, that can be incredibly uh, powerful for people. Because you 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 played elite level hurling as well, right? Um, and you did you did well on the hurling front. Now, did you have anything like that when you were playing? Um, not that I can remember. No, yeah. I yeah. Can remember. So 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 we. Sorry, I can remember a, a club team in Cork who I heard were having quite meaningful conversations in their dressing room after training. And I can remember just not understanding what that was about or why they were doing it or, you know, um, but yeah, it wasn't a thing, but I knew that it was, it was somewhere out there. But um, so, so here, here's, here's the thing then. So I can imagine it in an elite environment where you're all kind of striving towards one goal. Right. Um, but you said you work on the corporate front as well. So how does that translate then? Because, for elite athletes, and I've seen it, we're working with Sport Ireland and, and a number of different athletes and organizations that the athlete, when it comes to transitioning into the corporate world, right? A lot of the time, the narrative they have is they don't have the experience. Whereas yeah. I completely think that you can gain the experience, but what you can't gain is that that work ethic, that high level of constant performance and the determination to train and to 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 be in a a really really kind of difficult environment in terms of pushing yourself so much that you can't necessarily bring that into the corporate world so i i feel that elite athletes are far stronger positioned to transition into the corporate world than they believe themselves um but when it comes to corporates and when it comes to that kind of way of team building and driving high performance within teams or or most most notably high performance within individuals um how do you like are the fundamentals the same is what i'm asking or how does it translate yeah there's definitely uh, a lot of overlap between fundamentals uh, when it comes to sports and corporate um, and how i deal with them um whether you're in either um environment there is a need for collaboration and there's a need for engagement and how you really create that is by helping people feel psychologically safe uh, in their workplace. So what is psychological safety? Psychological safety is the belief that somebody has that they can contribute freely as they are. Um, An example would be putting your hand up when you're in a meeting or making suggestion or offering feedback or if you have a new idea for a project, be being okay with sharing that without the fear of judgment or repercussion. 
Um, so a lot of the content within the programs uh, that I run with workplaces are helping people to build their levels of psychological safety. So essentially what that is, building the trust between um, the person and their teammates. And that can be done over the course of, you know, one hour and two hours in, in the over the course of the uh, program that I run. Um, McKinsey did a report last year and they said that um, organizations that want to foster a sense of psychological safety should deliver trainings that are sensory, emotional and create aha moments. So um, I aim to tick some of those boxes um, over the course of the program and you know um, in many ways it's similar to the sports um, uh, program but in many ways it's quite different because the language is different, the context is different, um, the demographic is different and um, it's just about putting on that uh, lens to match the uh, the context that you're entering into. An, an area I'd be interested in understanding Ronan is that you've done so much work with so many people in driving the kind of the high performance and getting the best out of them. What do you do personally to get the best out of yourself? You know, because I have noticed in life that a lot of people say could come and ask you for advice, right? And mm -hmm. we're great at giving advice, but yeah. sometimes we're not so good at actually following our own advice. And I, I spoke to you uh, before about um, a challenge that I had a number of years ago, and I was great at kind of um, thinking or sharing, <laughs> telling others how to do things, but not taking the advice on my on board myself. Mm -hmm. And it basically created a hell of a lot of sadness for a long period of time, but it was only until it kind of like had a eureka moment that it was like, right, okay, I'm making a change. Uh, it, it opened up my world and my whole perspective and it created a hell, gave me the opportunity to be happy again, you know? Yeah. So what do you do to look after Ronan? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think sometimes, well, personally, I you need to learn the hard way sometimes. So like a few years ago, um, I'd say around five years ago, uh, I was burning candle at both ends with work and social life and, you know, um, had some relationship stresses as well. And I felt like, you know, um, there was a lot of anxiety rumbling within me, um, but I wasn't giving it much attention um, until, yeah, there was a breaking point for me where I went into work on a Monday morning um, and we were having a Monday morning check-in and yeah, I had my first panic attack, you know, um, definitely had a moment where everything just kind of snapped. Um, and yeah, you know, that was definitely a really hard time. And I was appreciative. Pre I appreciate how you shared your challenge with me when we met a few weeks ago. So that would be one for me whereby, you know, I had six months or a year where I was feeling like full body anxiety and like quite low at times as well. And, mm -hmm. You know, um, it's almost like, you know, when you get burnt and you kind of, you're really sensitive in that area. I kind of felt yeah. like that for like a year, you know, I was nervous to go into social situations and usually I absolutely love them, you know, but I would, it was just, uh, yeah. So that was kind of the, a dragon that I would have slayed definitely a few years ago. And, but the reason I kind of give that preamble is. I can remember a friend said to me um, when I was chatting to him about it uh, at the time, he said, isn't this a great opportunity for you to, to go deeper and learn about yourself, you know? And 
you know, there was definitely some layers that I hadn't gone and investigated. So, yeah, to answer your question, that was a catalyst to really start looking after myself. Yeah, better, better, I was the know? same. I, I was the same. My sister actually said to me, she said, Steve, you 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 surround yourself with really strong people in, in certain parts of your life. And yeah, um, <clears throat> maybe you need to look at yourself and need to actually delve a little bit deeper, like what you said. And so I went out and I I went through a whole kind of process of therapy. And the way I kind of saw it was that if you're training in the gym and you're going through a process to get bigger or to lean, to get leaner, you go through that process, whether it takes six, 12 weeks or six months or whatever it is. And the same thing should be applied to with your mind because yeah. it doesn't just fix overnight. Now, some people just need two or three se sessions and they're good to go. Whereas yeah. I kind of just said, right, let's go through the process and let's let's uncover yeah. a few things here. And like I like sorry to cut across you, but like just to add to that, like like therapy has been huge for me. Like it's been a, you know, we all from our upbringings and life in general, we have certain beliefs about ourselves and the world. And like, what an amazing uh, uh, immunity to have, you know, if you can afford it, you know, like to to actually just uh, do a little NCT in yourself. So, yeah, well, I was I was massively I was not so massively against it, but I didn't really believe in it until I needed it. Um, yeah. And then when I did it, I become a massive advocate of it because I'm I'm kind of there's an element of proof in the pudding. Now there's still things that don't get right, and that's fine. But but you're not you're not looking for the kind of the perfect life or the perfect solution. It's about being content and happy in yourself. Because uh, therefore, if you are in yourself, then you can attract others, uh, whether it's relationship or friendships and and so on. Um, and it makes it far fuller, and you're you're more kind of real and yeah. you don't suffer the bullshit you know and it's great to be in that kind of mindset you know so i, I was telling you a few weeks ago that i'm doing a bit of work in uh prison at the moment yeah and, yeah. yeah talk to me about that i did a session a couple of weeks ago and the lads are you know they're great lads and unbelievably fond of them and but like one of them landed a lovely nugget of wisdom uh, a couple of weeks ago and you know he he was and I can completely relate to this he was saying like for so long he was living outside of himself so he was gauging his value and his worth from relationships and impressing people and um you know maybe being the tough guy as well you know his reputation so it was actually only when he uh started serving time that he realized maybe the best way to look after yourself is to actually look within, you know, and not feel like you need to be fueled by what's around you and your environment. So I, uh, yeah, I just wanted to share, share that one for, I think that's, for that's pretty, how did you get involved in the, in the prison, uh, in working with prison, the prisons? So when you say in the prison, like you were in the prison, are you sitting yeah. down like, like what we would see in, in Shawshank <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sit yeah. down and actually, and actually sit and talk to the guys and, uh, and help them kind of figure things out. Yeah, so I worked with the Dublin footballer for three years and after one of the workshops in 2020, Philly McMahon approached me and he told me that he was working with the lads in the progression unit at Mountjoy Prison and he asked me would I come in and run a similar workshop or similar programme that I um, ran with the dubs. Um, and I said yes straight away, I was really excited and then unfortunately COVID hit. Um, so when COVID hit, I decided to go back and prepare myself for Mount Joy, and I, I started studying the work of Dr. Gabor Mate. And for those of uh, the listeners who don't know Gabor Mate, he is a doctor slash physician. 
and he specializes in um, trauma, child development, addiction, and recovery. Um, so to give a bit of context around the cohort within the prison, um, the majority of men entering the prison system have experienced some form of trauma at, um, in childhood or throughout their lives. Um, this might lead them down a path of substance uh, use and abuse and um, you know also into life life of crime so Gabor Mate um, says that recovery is recovering who you are so it's recovering all of the parts of yourself that you've maybe left behind over the course of a challenging uh, life so the program um, that I run with the lads along with Philly McMahon is basically a space for the lads to come together and have a shared experience once a week and we might explore some of their life paths that have led them to where they are right now you know build some acceptance and forgiveness for um, for themselves um, explore some of the adverse childhood experiences that they might have um, experienced um, reconnect with some healthy values uh, write a new uh, script for the type of man that they want to be and um, you know essentially over the course of the 14 weeks that we've been there now you know it's it's been it's been heartening and it's been challenging and it's been it's been a, a big learning curve but I know I'm speaking about a number of different uh, areas here be it in schools or sport or corporate or prison but the one thing that I would like to share with people um, whether you're listening to this and you're a manager or you're a teacher or your mentor or your sports coach we can all create environments um, for our groups that learning and growth and development can occur and I just like to share with uh, people some of those ways that I, I've found um, impactful first one would be creating uh, an environment where everyone feels like they belong so whether you are the um, CEO or you are the cleaner or you are the uh, centre-back or you're the substitute or the water waterman like uh, it's important to create an environment where every single person that walks through your doors or walks onto the field feels like they belong and you can do that through simple things like eye contact using people's names um, expressing the value that people bring to bring to the environment you know uh, we'll all relate to that in some way where, where we walked into an environment and we do feel like uh, we are seen and heard so belonging is number one and number two would be um, Amy Edmondson uh, is a lady who wrote a book called fearless organizations and she speaks about how to create um, a safe environment where people feel like they belong and how she says to do this is to encourage people and welcome interpersonal risks so that is the as i was saying a while ago putting your hand up making suggestions making recommendations giving feedback um offering ideas so it's just really encouraging and welcoming um these elements and when they do come into the group um you know just uh yeah being open to them and non-judgmental um and finally, what I would say to a lot of uh, managers out there is we all like to present and teach at times. However, 
putting on the facilitation hat can be really helpful to, um, in many ways. So what I mean by that is there is a an ocean of wisdom and knowledge in every single room. And in order to unlock that and to tap into that, um, we can use questions to um, to, to do this. So really getting curious about who's in the room and what's in the room and who the subject matters subject matter experts are in the room. And just getting curious and telling people that you know you don't have all the answers and that you really need everybody's um, uh, assistance to to get to where you're trying to get to. So f firstly belonging, secondly um, uh, interpersonal risks and thirdly uh, putting on the facilitation hat in, uh, as, as well as the teaching and presenting hat. So I hope some people can find some uh, some little nuggets in there. Like I, I think with the the fact that you found a way to help people must be helping you as well. Like it, mu it must be because you know when you put when you feel that you've connected with somebody or you've you've they've, you've helped them re realize something that mu it must be a super super feeling. Or do you do you just kind of like the way sometimes doctors or patients or physios and stuff they just kind of get ah that's part of the process. Like do you still get a kick out of it when you see somebody kind of finding their way? Hundred percent, I do. Yeah, and like, you know, as much as long, I've been at this for ten years now, but I feel like there's uh, a big journey ahead for me as well. There's a lot for me to learn. Um, but uh, yeah, no, definitely. Like even you know, recent sessions kind of they definitely leave a mark on you. And you know, you'll leave be it a prison or a dressing room or a boardroom, and you know, you'll be feeling, you know, nice. You know, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, that said, there's a flip side to that. You know, it can be quite tiring, and that's you know, really, there's a need to really, really deliberately look after yourself and your energy with, with this kind of work as well. Yeah, my my um, my girlfriend's involved in, in HR and finds it challenging as well sometimes, you know, when it comes to hearing mm -hmm. conversations and trying to separate the kind of the, the work life and the personal life. But it's it's impossible to do it all the time. Yeah, there's some days are good, some days not so good. But um, mm -hmm. when when you're working with the guys in prison, um, like, in in my mind, I find it challenging to get over because these guys have committed crimes and these guys are in a world where they've been they're being punished, but they do need somebody like you to help them, right? So was there ever a point in time where you had to kind of separate the crime versus the person and the work you're doing, or is that that what you have to do all the time? Um so there's a great interview with uh, John Lonergan, who's the ex-governor of Mountjoy, and he, asked, he was asked a similar question, and what he said was judgment should um, stop once people are judged by the judicial system. And uh, that's something I'd subscribe to as well. And, you know, as long as people are there and they're willing to grow and develop, like, that's enough for me. And, you know, like, I, I yeah. see everything with a blank canvas, you know. And the thing about it is, some people have had a really desperate start to life and you know um you know uh, they've found their own way to survive in the world maybe that's drugs or, or crime you know so just to have a bit of understanding about people's paths as well is, is vital so when it came to working with guys in, in prison um you mentioned there that um compassion i think is probably the point that i think comes across strongest there is that we're not all painted with the same brush we're very much coming from a different world. Some people have had it tougher than others. Um, so 
the fact that you're able to separate um, the crime from the person, you can then treat these, you can treat people then with a bit more understanding and a bit more uh, compassion. I think it's only when you really understand the stories and how people have grown and not had similar opportunities to ourselves that you can really kind of believe, Jesus, if a little bit of help now, these guys could go a long way, you know? 100%, Um, if you if if you were so your work with prisons is is fascinating and i i'm really excited to see how that goes um if i could ask you a question right then it's a bit bit trickier because it's more about what you think people think of you right um and i i I ask everybody this in, in various ways but if you if you could ask your closest friend to describe you what what do you think they would say uh, what do I think they'd say or what would I like them to say? <laughs> well, either, 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 like, what would you, like, is, is there a difference? Yeah, that's a good point. Deep question. Um, yeah, so I would hope they'd say that I care. Um, I'd hope that they say um, uh, that I can be my full self, you know, be it uh, joyful, tears, uh, you know, being being low, uh, being hopeful, being playful, you know, all of these parts of myself, I'd hope that uh, I can be my full self, you know, and in turn, hopefully allowing them to do the same. Um, and if I'm throwing in a bonus one, you know, life life is precious, you know, and that's one thing I've learned from working with, having these conversations with different groups is that like life is really precious. That's what it reminds me. And you know, I'd hope that they'd see someone who is alive to life and, you know, appreciates the small moments, the big moments, singing, dancing, you know, yeah. watching someone walk uh, an old person across the street. You know, all of these moments can be quite beautiful if if we're present enough to notice them. So, um, yeah, that would be it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, like, listen, you, you and I have met already, but um, like the conversations that we have, for me, it's it's all about learning and it's about growing and it's about understanding. And um, as I've said to you before, this, this whole pod and this whole project is a passion project for me. And it's personal because it's like, I I love talking to to humans who have different perspectives, who've come from different walks of life and who've come from uh, and found a niche for themselves that makes them happy. It doesn't need to be the newest or the most vibrant thing in the world. It's about something that they can get up in the morning and kind of look forward to. Um, and I can hear it from you as you talk and as you tell your stories, like you can, there's without doubt, there's passion, but there's, there's empathy. And then there's an interest in, in learning and understanding people and where they've come from, because as you said, nobody has the same, um, life upbringing and life story. Um, if it, it, to, to talk to your ambition and, and like your purpose, it kind of feels like your purpose for, for me is to help is to, is to help people. Would I be right in saying that? Like, if you were to put it on a billboard and you're driving past that billboard, what would that be? What would that sentence be? Um, so I'll rewind back to like 11 years ago. I remember uh, when I was working in my old uh, job, my, I was probably lounging around uh, the house, living at home with my parents and, you know, probably sleeping until uh, an ungodly hour after playing poker the night before with my buddies. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, one morning my dad came in to me and he said, um, so what do you want to do? And I was like, um, you know, I just said, I want to work in a room with people making a positive impact. And he was like, okay, and what job is that? 
And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> but um, since then, I've discovered, you know, the craft of facilitation. And it's probably a bit more refined now. So if I was to say what the billboard would say, um, it would be my purpose is to create transformative experiences whereby authenticity, belonging and potential can flourish. Um, yeah. Jesus, that's that's something else now that's a good one to start now you've set the bar now for everybody else when they come yeah. on to the pod <laughs> um, i love it though i love it i love i love that i love i love that um like you 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 know straight away you knew 11 years ago what you wanted to do you just needed to find a way to uh, an avenue for you to do that and it's great that the guys in soar have set up um what they have done to give you that kind of learning and that that experience and now it's great to see you bring that into other avenues of life, into the corporate world, into prisons, into teams, the elite, the elite environment. Like you've worked with the best of the best. So I, I listen, take the floor. This is your moment. What would you like to tell everybody? How can they find you? Where can they find you? And if they wanted to get in touch, um, how would they do so? Um, they could send me a letter to my house if they want. <laughs> uh, it's lovely to wake up to a letter um I'll yeah put the they, address uh, in the show notes <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the ma- main place they can find me is my website which is uh ronanconway.ie which is designed by my good friend dermot sexton fantastic craftsmanship on his side um and uh yeah you can send me an email you can get me on linkedin as well and uh i'd be happy to happy to chat about what people's unique needs are and how i can help yeah lovely and 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 listen like you've you've got a friend in me anyway ronan and and i think like i look forward to our further conversations and no doubt it'll be over a pint or two uh the <laughs> next one how we won't be rushing off but uh yeah thanks a million for coming on the on the pod and, and being part of season four with me and i'm looking forward to seeing how the business flourishes and and equally seeing how you flourish because uh you're a terrific fella so fair play to you yeah it's mutual and uh fair play to you on on creating this for yourself as well you know it's uh it's admirable so thanks for having me on for my first podcast uh not going to be the last no doubt <laughs> <laughs> thanks big man cheers him.